Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. Nate Antetomaso and Evan Knowles here. An amazing conversation this week with Tatiana Holifield. She is VP and Head of Digital Strategy at Pacer Sports and Entertainment, working across all their brands and all their leagues. We talk about what that is like and what doing that in indie is like. You don't want to miss it. Let's go. Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. My name is Nate Antetomaso up in Chicago, Illinois. Evan Knowles down in Lexington. How you doing, man? Doing good. March Madness has started. <laughs> I uh, I was watching all day at work. My productivity was in the toilet. <laughs> I didn't really watch much at work, but I was watching highlights of uh, John Morant. And he's, yeah. He's the real deal. Murray State, Kentucky. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He's uh, no wonder everybody's talking about him being a top five pick. Yeah, I actually hadn't heard his name until until recently, um, and then obviously he just went off, got a triple-double tonight. I'm actually watching the Kentucky game in the background while we're doing this, and as of now, I have a perfect bracket, and I know now that I said that, I just jinxed it. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see how that holds up after the first round. Yeah, you don't sound too confident. No, no. <laughs> Basketball's a good little segue, though, right now. Yeah, yeah, so why don't we uh, introduce the guests? So uh, our guest today is somebody I had the pleasure of working with at Fuji. Uh, she was at BET heading up a lot of their uh, digital media. And I always loved working with her because she was you know, so patient with me and she, she saw uh, Fuji's vision. So this was, I worked with her while I was uh, you know, helping grow Fuji. And she was always willing to take meetings and, and you know, sit down and talk about her strategy and how we could help with that. And I always appreciated that and I learned a lot from her. So Without further ado, uh, Tatiana Holyfield, uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you. I'm excited to talk to you guys today. Absolutely. Tatiana is the VP and Head of Digital Strategy at Pacers Sports and Entertainment. I think one word in that title is the most recognizable to everybody, and that's the Pacers, the the Indiana Pacers. Yeah, that's right. Um So Pacers Sports and Entertainment, just to give a broad overview, um, is comprised of not only the Indiana Pacers NBA team, um, which we are hopefully clinching in the playoffs tonight. Looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, we also have the Indiana Fever WNBA team, which we are going into our 20th season. So we're excited about shedding some love for the WNBA team. And then we have our Fort Wayne Mad Ants G League team, which there have been a lot of great players who have been moved up from the Mad Ants to the Pacers recently. And last but not least, uh, Pacers Gaming, which is our NBA 2K esports division. And then, of course, I shouldn't say last because we also have um, the Bankers Life Fieldhouse, which is the arena where we play our games and we have concerts, as well as our Pacers Foundation. So there's a lot of properties within that Pacers Sports and Entertainment, and I'm excited about this new role that I have. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, before we get into specifics of that new role, why don't you give a high level overview of your career and then what, you know, got you to this role? 
Sure. Um, I have not really had a vertical career, so to speak. I've kind of moved all over the place, but I am uh, originally from Chicago, Nate. So hey. you're out there in Chicago, hometown represent. Yeah. <laughs> I just moved up here six months ago. I'm loving it. Oh, sweet. Well, I'll tell you mm-hmm. where all the good food places are. For sure. Yeah, we it's need to talk up. after this. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I um I graduated from Columbia College Chicago, but during which time I was uh, actually working in the hospitality industry and in sales and marketing. Um, after graduation, I took a year and kind of traveled the world, and then I decided um, living in Chicago, I'd been there for a while and wanted to see something new. So between um, New York and L.A., I decided on Atlanta. (laughs) (laughs) And so I uh, moved to Atlanta for a short time, was working at Hard Rock Cafe where I was able to transfer. But then I got my uh, my career started in television, working at Gospel Music Channel, which is now Up TV, which is actually owned by um, Magic Johnson. And so I stayed there for a couple years and, you know, just kind of grind out on the on the marketing side, learning all I can about being being in the media industry. And then after that, I decided, you know, Atlanta was a little too slow for me and I wanted it was time for the big league. So mm-hmm. I moved to New York and that's where I started working at Sportsnet New York, SNY. It was a great opportunity. I was working with the Mets, the Jets, the Big East. And, you know, for me, sports has always kind of been a passion and I've kind of moved around between sports and music and television my whole career. And so it was a great opportunity. I was working in marketing and affiliate relations. And then from there, I just kept going in the marketing wave. I moved over to NBC Universal, um, which was a merger between Comcast, SNY and NBC into a brand marketing role. There, I oversaw marketing for a lot of the daytime television shows that no one wants to say that they watch, but they do, like Jerry Springer and Maury Povich, Steve Harvey, and all those great shows. Um, And while I was there, I had the opportunity to really lead the social media strategy uh, for some of those uh, shows. And that was back in 2012 when social really started to pick up. And, you know, at that point, I saw the limited opportunities for jobs on the traditional marketing side, and I knew that social was where it was going to be long term. So I uh, went back to school and started, you know, getting uh, my education around the, the other side of social media, not just posting And during that time, um, I met the head of marketing for Viacom for BET, and he was looking for someone to come and create a strategy for his small junior team. And I came on board there in 2016, and it was a wild and crazy ride. I will honestly say, you know, I was managing a team of over 10 people. We had over 300 social media accounts. We had nonstop shows and events and content, and that's when I luckily met Evan um, when he was at Fuji. And, you know, from there, we won a lot of industry awards for successful social media campaigns, which I'm proud of myself and proud of the team there. And then uh, that transitions me to where I am now. After being there for three years, I decided, you know, I've been in New York for 10 years and 
after getting married two years ago, the cost of living just wasn't as attractive to me anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And the opportunity to work with the Pacers was a great opportunity that uh, came my way. And it was a great way for me to move back to the Midwest, back to my roots. And so my husband, my dog and I, we packed up, we moved and here we are. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember you calling me when I was, uh, when I was still at Fuji and uh, you told me your, you know, your big news, and I was really happy. I was, I was happy because uh, you're coming this way towards Kentucky, but also uh, that position is awesome. You know, I grew up watching the Pacers. I always went to games with my dad, and actually just went to a game recently, right before I left for Costa Rica and got to see you and then sit down with you there for a while there by the court. Uh, so I was really happy for you. I was, it was really great to get that news. Yeah, thank you. I was um it was an opportunity. It actually kind of came out of nowhere, but it was definitely the right move and I'm excited. Had you ever well, obviously you were you were involved with some some sports brands up in New York, but had you ever been involved with basketball specifically? Well, at SNY, we had the Big East. So I, I okay. did a lot of marketing campaigns around basketball, but no, I hadn't worked at the at the team level. So for me, even now in my current role, it's a lot of um, learning and understanding of like team and league restrictions. And um, I was I was familiar with like the broadcast territories in terms of where we could market to our audience and things like that. You know, we have to stay within 150 mile radius of the stadium and things like that. And I, I definitely had a broad overview of what it took to market a sports team. Um, but the nuances of actually being at the team is something that I'm picking up now and kind of navigating through this new space. Yeah, for sure. Let's let's kind of dive into that a little bit, because one of my questions and my curiosities around that was um, with the strategy of, of a team and specifically within the NBA, how much of the strategy or your potential strategy is restricted by by the league rules or how much do they even support you in other ways? You know, what is it kind of like working within that larger structure? Yeah, you know, I have um, in the two months that I've been there so far, I've had several conversations with the league and, you know, Several people from the league have told me that their role really is to support each of the teams Mm -hmm. as well as just to protect the brand overall. So when I'm looking to execute a rollout, a strategy, the league is definitely there to help guide me or foster relationships that they already have or even, you know, at a larger scale, create master service agreements with vendors and things like that so that we can take advantage of efficiencies and discounts. Um, I wouldn't say they're there to restrict us necessarily from everything, but they are there to make sure that each of our teams are protected. Yeah, that makes that makes a ton of sense. And and with so many different groups within uh, kind of your realm, you know, you've got the Pacers, you got the Fever, the Mad Ants, you got the esports team now, and and the and the Fieldhouse. What does your day to day look like? What what does that strategy look like? Oh, every day is different, you know, and that's actually the fun part about working in this in this space. Um, For me, it's a lot of meetings right now. I'm just back to back, still doing a lot of fact finding so that I can put together our three year plan 
but it's an exciting time to be in Indiana and it's an exciting time to be at PSNE because there's so many things going on. So take example right now, you know, with the Pacers, we're heading into playoffs. So my day is, you know, talking to vendors and planning our playoffs campaign, working with the team to make sure we have a solid campaign going into playoffs. And then on the flip side of that strategy is um, thinking about what our positioning will be in the worst case event that we don't win (laughs) or that we don't make it all the way through. You know, we have to still keep our fans excited and engaged and and willing to come back for next year. Um, So, you know, we're up against some tough teams tonight. We're up against um, Golden State. And so, well, depending on when this podcast, you know, comes out, (laughs) we will play Golden State. And so, you know, I think that um, we have to, from a strategy perspective, think about all potential um, things that could occur from a marketing aspect. And then on the fever side, as I mentioned earlier, we're planning for the 20th season anniversary. Um, And there's still a lot of awareness that needs to take place for the WNBA and particularly for the fever. Mm -hmm. So we just launched a new campaign called All for Love. And we're doing a 20 city tour around Indiana to participating cities to get people excited. We have a um, a new president and COO, Dr. Allison Barber. We have a new VP of basketball operations, Tamika Catchings, who used to play for the team. And of course, we have our head coach, Pokey Chapman. And so, you know, we really just want to get out there and get people excited about the new season. And of course, get people there to purchase some tickets and come and see a game. And then out there in Fort Wayne, you know, they, um, again, it's just another area of awareness for me. So um, I haven't had the opportunity to get started on their strategy yet. But once I uh, once their season is over, which they have, I think their last game is tomorrow. um, I'll be um, diving a little bit more into helping them to reach the widest possible audience. And then lastly, uh, with Pacers Gaming, we just drafted three new um, new players in the draft that took place in New York. And so we're excited about the roster that we have there. And um, eSports is such a growing space. And, you know, that's a fun new thing for me to be able to market because I have not um, really dabbled in this space very much. And then, of course, Bankers Life Fieldhouse is just fun and exciting. We always have concerts coming in. Um, We've had Metallica. We've had B2K and uh, just any genre you can think of. Even WWE was there yesterday. So (laughs) it's just just a fun place to work. Yeah. There's always something going on, it sounds like. Always. And, And I guess I shouldn't have left out the fact that we will have the NBA All-Star Games in 2021. So already starting to plan for that. Yeah, I can imagine. I think they're coming to Chicago next year, and I'm I'm looking to get a ticket. And I didn't know they were down there the following year. I might have to go down there too. Yep, exactly. So I'll be keeping my eye out on Chicago so we can uh, look at from a strategic standpoint yeah. what we should do. <laughs> for sure. So, so with so much going on and in so many different properties and each property having multiple campaigns – how do you how do you make a consistent message and, and how do you 
you know, maintain the, the, the ship going in one direction? Or is that something where you, you kind of allow all the different brands to have their creative freedom? Yeah, you know, I think that's really the reason why uh, my position was created. They've never had this role before. And each uh, property has really kind of managed its own digital and social media. And so now the company has really realized there's a need to kind of think a little more strategic about synergies, about how we can be smarter with our strategies and, and even from an audience perspective. And so that's currently what I'm looking at is where are the pain points? What are the opportunities? Is there overlap within our fan base? And how do we continue to engage those audiences? I think what's um, similar about each of those sports is that, you know, when they're in season and when they're winning, it's great. And the audience is there and people will come. But when they're not in season or when they're not winning, how are we engaging with our fans? Or when we don't have a concert, how are we continually, you know, keeping the Indiana marketplace abreast of what's happening at the Banker's Life Fieldhouse? And so that's really a part of what I'm there to do. And um, right now, you know, I'm I'm developing what that strategy will be based off of kind of consumer insights from what I've seen in the past. And um looking into sentiment and things like that of what our fan base really wants. I bet, I bet being at uh, Viacom in a senior position really helped you. You know, Viacom uh, is a big parent company that has several subsidiaries, BET being one of them and Nickelodeon, MTV, VH1, you know, Paramount. How, How much did that prepare you for this role? Yeah, I, it was definitely a great um, breeding ground, so to speak, in in helping shape my career um, and shape the strategy that I'm going to put in place here. As you mentioned, they have, Viacom has so many properties and there was a lot of learnings that I'm able to take and implement. Um, even like before I left, probably within the last year, Viacom created the um, Viacom Digital Studios, which was purely that. It was a bridge that kind of brought all the digital teams together in order to create synergies and so forth. And that's really what I would love to do at Pacer Sports and Entertainment. You know, long term, my goal would be to create an in-house content studio where we could, you know, own and leverage and create our own content. You know, I would love to be able to produce 80 to 100 pieces of short and long form content per week. I would love to be able to have a studio in house where when our players are in, they can just come up to our studio and shoot certain pieces of content or um, when artists come into the building, you know, we can do nice, great video pieces with them and then ultimately be able to monetize on that content. So that's kind of where my vision is, and hopefully we can work to get there. Gotcha. And a question, you know, following up to that is, uh, you mentioned having a content studio and having players come up. How willing are the players to to create content and work with your team? Uh, I've always wondered, you know, how they feel about be, always being on camera. Uh, are they willing to help? 
Yeah, you know, I would say most of the players are um, very socially savvy. You know, they're all young. They enjoy it. And they also have their own brands. So they, you know, embrace social media for the most part. However, there are layers, um, you know, more so on the NBA side than on the WNBA or on the gaming side. But, you know, some of them have their own agents or reps or marketing firms. And then there's also the NBA Players Association. And so, you know, we have some guidelines and regulations in terms of what we can and can't do with the players and how we engage them. But, you know, I ultimately am trying to push as much as we can to make sure that anything related to a player that is signed with the Pacers or the Fever, you know, that we are able to really own the narrative and the conversation um, around that player. And that, you know, my team working in conjunction with basketball operations or, you know, the senior leadership team will make sure that we're protecting their brand and protecting, you know, the, the their story um, versus it going to a media outlet or some other outlet that may not have that same best interest at heart. Yeah, I, I wanted to follow up on that. And, and I could... I mean, I could talk about this for for hours itself is just kind of the the NBA's embracing of the players' personal brands more so than than any other league, it seems like. And I I think that's helped by the the smaller roster sizes. Um, But the the players are just so vocal and there's always storylines. And it seems like the the whole league is a story and that's why it's growing. That's why people are interested. Is that something that that you guys very consciously take into account and and very consciously try, try to help tell those stories? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's a it's a it's a new but growing and growing fast um, marketplace for us. You know, there's just so many players in, that want to be able to work with the athletes and tell the story. So not only do you have like us, and you have the local media, local mm-hmm. broadcasters, and so forth that want to work with the players and get content with them. Um, but then you have national partners, you know, like an ESPN or even like a Bleacher Report or, you know, all of those other outlets. And then you have your advertisers and your sponsors, and they have needs and wants and things like that. So it's definitely a balancing act, and I'm sure that's why, um, you know, the National Basketball Players Association and Think 450 was created to help manage some of that and make sure that it's fair business practice across the board. For sure. Yeah. Tell us some things that, uh, you know, the Pacers do to set, set you guys apart. What what are some of the things you guys do digitally uh, to really stand out? Well, you know, I think at the core of just the paces itself is the fact that um, it's so true. But our tagline is we grow basketball here. And if you know the history of basketball in Indiana, you know, the whole city is really built upon basketball from high school basketball, college basketball, you know, some of the legends that have played here. And we really do grow and develop players. We grow and develop talent and everything else. And so, you know, we, while it's great to have your, your star player and and that big name, you know, we really take a holistic and team approach. 
Um, we were we're a little unfortunate this year that Victor Oladipo had his injury, um, but look how well the team is playing, right? And that's a result of the fact that they gel well together and we really take the team atmosphere serious. And so um, for us on the digital side of things, we want to make sure that we give each player on the team its love and, and make sure that you know, if we're showing a highlight or we're, you know, focusing on a certain piece of um, a play or whatever, we give each individual player their time to shine and um, and our audience loves it. Mm-hmm. How how does your, your strategy at all play into um, on, on social, just other people, you know, taking stories, taking content and, and running with it. I think that's a unique thing that the the NBA has um, more so than anyone else. And we kind of touched on this earlier, but I wanted to drill down a little bit more specific. Um, I'll, I'll say a quote from from the commissioner, Adam Silver. Me and Evan were at CES this year. And he was talking and um, paraphrasing, but he said that the NBA has exclusive rights with broadcasters for the games. And, and those are the meals. That's the big content. Um, but he's not going to stop other people from sharing the snacks. So if there's a highlight or, or you know, a funny meme that somebody edits from some content, um, the NBA is not going to stop that. And they're going to let that, that content get out and, and let that proliferate far beyond what the broadcast network can do. So how does, how does kind of the, the community play into your digital strategy? Yeah, see, my opinion on that is the more the merrier. Like, yeah, you want to share our content? Great, share it. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. if you have 10 million followers, perfect. You're doing the marketing for me. <laughs> you know, like, I, 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 def- I mean, I'm a fan of making sure that people want to share our content and making it um, go viral or having some shareability. Now, on the flip side of that, and this is, you know, kind of the, the league's um, perspective as well, is we also want to protect our brand, right? Like, mm-hmm. we want make sure that if you are sharing that content that you're at least like tagging us or giving us the credit for it or you know not um sharing it in a light that is um defaming our content in any way so to me the the shares at the rips and all that good stuff are um are just another vehicle in our in our marketing plan yeah that, that makes a ton of sense yeah. Yeah. I love, you know, all the memes are always great. The memes are exploding <laughs> right now. Uh, and it's always fun to watch those. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, to me, that also is like, it's an untapped um, opportunity to reach new audiences. So, you know, if I had 10 million followers on my account and I happened to see something that the Pacers posted that I loved and wanted to share and I ripped it and then tagged the Pacers, then I'm sure there's a lot of people in my following who don't follow the Pacers. And now they see, oh, Pacers put out this great piece of content. Like, I should start following them. So, you know, I hope that that becomes a part of our ongoing strategy Twitter is great for that. We um, we're working on a piece now. You know, April fourteenth is is the premiere of Game of Thrones, and almost every single uh, brand will be talking about Game of Thrones at that time, especially on Twitter. And so we want to be a part of that Twitter conversation where we um, you know connect Game of Thrones to our brand and. Uh, you know, I'm. I don't know how the team at Game of Thrones would feel about that, but why not? 
dated with the NBA team. Yeah. Yeah. When I was leaving Fuji, that was the biggest, that seemed to be the biggest thing on my plate was everybody was talking about Game of Thrones. So we were trying to figure out, you know, how to attach ourselves to that and really help, you know, bring that to life. So, yeah, I mean, everybody's jumping on that. Yeah, and, and you know, as a as a brand, the goal is to attract a wider audience. And so, for me, I look at Game of Thrones as uh, as a uh, audience base that might have some crossover, and there may be some Pacers fans in there that are not currently following us on Twitter, and maybe we can capture some of that audience on April fourteenth. We'll see. So. Yeah, and, and you kind of went into it there that. You know, Twitter was a great place for a lot of that content to live. Let's kind of get at a higher level and talk about uh, your strategies between, you know, Twitter and Instagram, which are, uh, you know, two of the bigger platforms that seem to be the best fit for the NBA. Uh, how do you view that at, a, at kind of a high level? You know, uh, Twitter is in the moment, and that's where we really seed out content that's happening right then and now. You know, when people are watching the game in real time, they're on their Twitter account and that's their second screen and they're live tweeting and we live tweet and that's where you get the up-to-date information. So for us, it's short bites, you know, seven seconds or less, and we're hitting them with gifs and memes and and quotes from the coaches and so forth. And that's really what our strategy is there. And then just taking advantage of conversational Twitter, like we talked about. So trending topics, what's happening in the world today on certain days, or what's the big the big topic. That's how we we use Twitter. As for Instagram, you know, Instagram is where everyone's at right now. Um, that key younger generation, I would say between yeah, yeah, 16 to 35 or maybe even younger or older on both sides, but everyone's there. And so, you know, video is, is key for us and making sure that we have some compelling video content um, is really like where we're trying to really head with our strategy there. Um, we have not really, well, prior to me coming on board, the team hadn't really invested much into IGTV. And I think, you know, some brands are still figuring out the return and if it's worth it to be there i think the new algorithm change that they um implemented really helps to drive views there now and so a part of what i will look to develop is how do we create some lifestyle series um around the pacers or around you know all of our teams that can keep our audience engaged during the off season and continue with the conversation. So those will be, you know, some longer form pieces of content that we'll look to put on IGTV and um, we'll see what else are resonates well with our audience. I've yeah. IGTV is really interesting to me because I I can't really, I don't really have a good vision on where that's going, but one thing I've noticed they've done recently and it was actually Gary V that was the first person that I really saw this with was, you know, he'd post a video just like you would normally watch on Instagram and it would stop right in the middle of a sentence or something and it would say <laughs> continue to watch on IGTV. And that was the first time I've seen that, but it was a genius way to drive people to that side of Instagram. So, you know, my question is where do, where do you see IGTV going? Uh, because, you know, I'm having a hard time, you know, really understanding where that's going to head because there's so many different platforms and, and channels to watch video. 
Yeah, you know, now that 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 exact function that you just mentioned, like they Instagram basically put the stories now into the feed. So it shows up in your feed. And then they also um, added a, a little feature where you can kind of preview uh, a little bit at the top of, of your channel, uh, something happening on IGTV. You know, I think it, it just created more areas for discovery and for um, searchability. And I think that a lot of brands are being more clever with the content that they're putting on IGTV. And so I think there's a lot of growth there. Um, you mentioned Gary Vee, but for me, the IGTV account that I follow the most is TMZ. I don't know if you've noticed their, uh, their IGTV account, but especially when like Tristan Thompson was um, cheating on Khloe Kardashian and then the whole thing with Jordan Woods like they had feeds about that like everything <laughs> and I was just so intrigued by what was happening with that story and it would just show up in my feed all the time and that's when I really started to like pay attention to IGTV so I'm thinking about you know how can we leverage that um, in our strategy and create more pieces of content like that. So, but I think the hook there is that it has to be something as you mentioned, like that's that's juicy enough that'll get you right there where you're where you're tuned in and you want to click on IGTV in order to find out what else is happening. I think if you don't have that element to it, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how many people will really stay on for it. Yeah, how long those TMZ videos that you're watching? How long were those? I think they usually would go anywhere from two to three minutes. Uh -huh. Yeah, I know. Can't you like upload up to an hour on there? I just yeah. struggle with any kind of use case where somebody is going to watch that long of a video on Instagram. Well, you know that's their whole thing, right? It's like they're trying to train the audience to get longer and longer with their content. And so I think eventually they're getting there. You know, when, when IGTV first came out, everyone was struggling because it needed to be vertical. And so you saw brands yeah. cheating the system and they were making it horizontal and putting up a graphic that says, turn your, your screen. <laughs> <laughs> and so people were turning their screen, but yet yeah, that's weird and no one wants to hold their phone horizontally for a long amount of time on Instagram so it was like all right I'm not doing this mm -hmm. and then you know slowly people more people started to adapt creating content vertically and now I think I me personally I'm I'm trained to at least sticking around for like two minutes if it's something good if it's yeah. something I really want to know about or see or you know educate myself on then I'll definitely stay for two three minutes mm -hmm. that's just yeah, I think two, three minutes is kind of the sweet spot. I just, my, that was my issue at, at first was just the length with it, especially with, with other video services that are, that are more short form and, and we can get into some more specifics. Um, before we have a couple ideas of, you know, different strategy pieces and in, in different platforms we want to talk about. But before we do that, is there any kind of thing that you strategize about or any part of your day that, that you think people don't realize and, and don't see coming on the horizon that you do? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I would say coming on the horizon or even that people probably don't know about, especially at the local level, there are a lot of um, governmental regulations 
that people probably don't realize and or know about. And so we have to stay abreast of what's happening um, with local policies and things like that. So I can't speak a whole lot on it right now, but in the state of Indiana, the House is currently um, looking to potentially pass a law around uh, gambling um, Mm -hmm. and e-gambling. And so if that happens, that could make a big impact in what my current role is and how we uh, embrace, you know, um, sports bets, sports books. I think um, the LA Knights has some sports books related with their uh, their team. I know there is a facility at the Prudential Center in Jersey. Um, and so, you know, what will that look like when fans are now able to bet on the game? That'll be something interesting. Yeah. So, and, you know. and do it from their own home too. Right. You know, potentially doing it from their own home on their, on their phone. We had, we, we had an episode about that yeah. you know, in the past because, you know, we're right here in Kentucky where, you know, horse gambling is huge and uh, people love to go to horse tracks around the nation and, and gamble on uh, horse racing. Uh, and so that's a big thing that's being talked about in Kentucky as well as, as sports betting. So it's, it's exciting to watch and, and kind of track because, uh, you know, that's going to be a really, really big, big space and a really big opportunity to make, uh, you know, a lot of money for different organizations. Yeah, absolutely. So let's kind of get into a, a few specifics then, you know, some different things that we want to talk about, especially with the NBA that, that always seems to be on the cutting edge of the technology and of getting those stories out, like we mentioned. Have you, well, the first one I want to talk about is TikTok. Have you worked at all um, with TikTok? I have not yet. Um, and I started to challenge my team to start to think about um, how we could potentially work TikTok into our, our strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I have to still do some more research there because I don't I'm not familiar with any teams that are actively using TikToks, TikTok in their strategy. Um, but it's definitely one I, I want to invest some more time into and look into, you know, when they were musically, I obviously worked with them um, at BET and, you know, their core audience is probably 13 to 18. And so for, I would say on the WNBA side, there's probably a lot of opportunity there. You know, for the WNBA, we have a a wide range of who our audience is. You have a lot of younger people who are interested in in just women in basketball and um, women athletes. And then you have, you know, moms and families that just want to come and take their families out to a sporting event. And so I feel like that TikTok audience is probably one that shares some overlap with us and I need to dive a little bit more into it. Yeah. When when a new technology comes comes out like that, a new a new platform, and I'm sure you've dealt with this several times over your career, at what point does a team say, okay, we need to move on to this platform because uh, is it something that has to do with the audience size? Is it how quickly it's growing? Is it the adoption of competitors? Uh, on that platform, at what point does a team say, okay, 
we need to make take TikTok very seriously? Um, that's a good question. For me, while I'd love to be first to market with, you know, all the new apps and things that come out, platforms that come out, I also want to make smart business decisions. And so sometimes I sit back and just kind of wait to see what other brands are doing. Um, look at case studies. You know, I know Evan, when we first met, I think you were working with Nickelodeon or MTV or one of the other brands. And so I, you know, I said, well, what was the return? What, you know, what did they do and how did they roll out mm-hmm. their campaign? And so that's something that I look at first to make sure, like, is this really going to align with our goals before we make the investment in it? Um, and then I kind of, you know, look to see, can we test it early with our market and see if it's something that our audience would even be interested in? And if so, then, yeah, you know, I definitely look to adapt new um, new platforms whenever possible. For example, uh, I recently read about Unfold. I don't know if you've heard of that app. But they did a campaign with Tommy Hilfiger and the Unfold app is basically templates that you can use in Instagram stories. And so you go on their app and you can unlock various templates. And for this exclusive window, they had Tommy Hilfiger branded um, Instagram story templates that people could use. I think it was around like uh, Fashion Week or something like that. And it was a huge campaign. I think they did something like 33 million impressions or something like that. And when I saw it come across my LinkedIn, I was like, oh, now that's the type of thing I'm looking for. And how can I reach out to them and see if this is something that we can adapt in our strategy? And so it was a combination of not only it being something new and innovative, but it also having some proven metrics and ROI. And then the third thing that I looked at is Instagram stories is where people are right now. So I'm fishing where the fish are, you know, and I'm <laughs> for, you know, what's the opportunities there. If this was something to like brand your Facebook account, I don't really know that I'd be as much interested in it <laughs> than mm-hmm. I would be, you know, for Instagram stories. So. Got it. Yeah, I hadn't heard of Unfold. I uh, just downloaded the app, though, as you were talking. I, I looked it up and downloaded it, and just right off the bat, it looks like something that makes a lot of sense. Customized. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it looks great. So we'll have to dig into that. Yep, they also did something with Equinox and so forth. So, you know, I don't think they've done anything. Well, I know they haven't done anything with any other NBA brand. So, hey, there's a chance where we could be first to market. Um, We're currently talking to them now to see what we can work out. But, you know, things like that are things that I'm always looking to roll out. Um, We also, I mean, just to be honest, like, we don't have a gazillion dollars to spend on marketing campaigns. So, Cost always plays a factor into things as well, but we have to get clever and creative in any ways that we can help drive and reach a new audience is, is something that I consider. So for me, I'll, I'll definitely do my homework and due diligence around TikTok to see if there's a way that we can really integrate our brand that makes sense to reach new audiences. Yeah. 
that I, I think just like you were saying, the especially with the the budgetary constraints that that every organization faces, you know, being creative, being clever, and when you're on that cutting edge of technology, that's when you can potentially scoop up some eyes that are are cheaper than they would be on some more established platforms. Mm-hmm. One of uh, one of the other, you know, relatively new platform or newer platform to to hit mainstream is is virtual reality, and that's that's been something people have been saying for years, just kind of waiting it for it to take off. But I know recently, I think it was this season, uh, NBA is doing league pass in, in virtual reality, or it might've been last season was the first year. Um, is, is that anything that, that you're involved with or kind of looking into to virtual reality at all on the team's end? Um, I have not been involved with it yet. I'm still, you know, fairly new in my role, but I do know that the NBA um, did a VR, I think it was a VR 180 uh Spot with one of our players, Miles Turner. Um, you could probably Google it and you'll see on YouTube there is a VR video of Miles Turner doing yoga, um, which is really cool to watch <laughs> in VR. So um, it, it's an exciting space. I would love to dive into it. I know over at BT, um, Ken Gibbs, the VP over there, has done some VR 180 things um, with uh, last year's BT experience. And then I know he just did, uh, I think he also did it for Black Girls Rock. And then he just did a VR uh, behind the scenes for the social media awards, social awards. So, you know, I think there's a lot of people people who are testing out the space still. Um, and there's a lot of brands that are doing great things with VR. I'm still waiting to see the return or yeah. what the monetizable opportunities, if that's even a word, monetizable. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah. What those opportunities are, because I mean, it's it's a big spin, mostly to have the cameras and so forth to be able to to create that content. So, you know, if I ask our owners to invest in this, you know, they they're going to want to know what are we getting in return? And and I don't know that a lot of brands are able to prove it right now other than just the wow factor or the cool factor. Yeah. You know, Nate, you mentioned that that VR is is mainstream, but I'd I'd say the idea of it's mainstream. I don't I don't think the actual device is is mainstream yet. It's kind of funny how long uh, this whole VR wave has kind of hung around in the air, but really hasn't come to come to fruition. Uh, It's just crazy. Um, The potential of it is amazing. You know, we saw uh, one of the big movies that came out uh, recently was Ready Player One. And Mm -hmm. uh, it was cool to, to see that come out in the the reaction to that, because uh, who knows? You know, maybe one day VR will get to that point. But uh, you know, it's just one of those things that you know you 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 think it would be mainstream already, but it's just not. So uh, I feel like at the end of every year when they do the like technology predictions for next year, it, every year it's VR <laughs> VR will get serious next year, and yeah. then it just nothing changes. Yeah, after, yeah. after I, going to. I, I, that VR is not necessarily mainstream. I would say AR is probably more mainstream than VR. AR excites me so much more than VR does. Yeah. Is that something you're looking at at all? Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, it all comes down to budget, really. Yeah. Yeah. 
For sure. Is that kind of like an in-stadium experience thing for the different teams, or are you able to share it all about what you're thinking on with AR? There's just so many capabilities there. Um, and, and for me, I'm just looking at long-term what, what we can do with it, especially as we get up to NBA All-Star Weekend. So yeah. I don't know. It's kind of it's a lot of research right now and just seeing what makes the most sense. Um but aside from AR, I will also say that the NBA um, is also using uh, 360 cameras. And um, I know recently Twitter did a deal where we're installing the Intel cameras on like our scoreboards and in our um, in our stadium. And so that's something that we're currently getting installed um, at the Bankers Life Fieldhouse. And I'm excited to kind of play around with that technology and see what we can do around our players and, and using that video content. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. I think we kind of heard a, a piece of that when when Evan and I were at CES. Uh, Adam was talking with with Jack up on stage, and it was really cool just to hear about all the synergies of of how they they think of marketing and, and think of sharing the stories. Yeah, yeah. Adam's done a really really great job. Uh, it's been it's been great watching him and uh, the progress the league has made since he yeah. since he took over. So. So we got, we got, I think we got through all the, the big technology pieces we want to talk about. And on this podcast, we always try to, to bring it back to this idea of technology and middle America. Uh, so our big purpose with this podcast is you've got San Francisco, L.A., New York. You've got the coasts where uh, all of the talk around technology seems to happen, but a lot of the cool stuff in the middle of the United States uh, is not covered enough. So that's that's what we love to talk about on this podcast. So what are some of the big things that excite you uh, with Indiana, with Indiana, Indianapolis or the Pacers as a whole in this in this technology space or just the digital media space going forward? That's a great question, because I think all too often people just instantly think of Indiana or Indianapolis as this kind of flyover town with cornfields and, you know, farmers. And that's just their first inclination of what the city is. And we are so far and so much more than that. I mean, yeah, of course, there are some farms here, but, (laughs) you know, the city itself is really progressive and it's really a, a metropolitan area. And so especially like if you come downtown, it's, it's a really booming um, place for young entrepreneurs. There are a lot of chefs and so forth that are creating restaurants here. There are a lot of startups that are creating business here. You got to keep in mind, like the cost of living here is, is really good. So um, there are big businesses that have planted their foot here, such as Salesforce has a huge Mm -hmm. presence here. And there's even a new technology company called Emphasis that's coming into the place. And, you know, they're probably bringing, I think, like upward of 5,000 jobs or something like that. 
And uh, even, you know, when Amazon was putting in their bid, uh, Indiana was one of the places that they were looking at. So, you know, I, I just always say and tell people, like, don't sleep on Indianapolis, right. you know, yeah. it, it is actually a, a great place to be. And as I was leaving New York, you know, people said, oh, why would you leave New York to go to Indi- Indianapolis? <laughs> and I'm like, well, it's actually a pretty cool place. When's the last time have you been? And most people <laughs> haven't been very recently. So I say, well, come and visit me and you'll find out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of, of pitching Fuji was was telling the story and how we started in Lexington, Kentucky. And everybody was really receptive to that. And, you know, a lot of people had no idea where it was. <laughs> I had people ask me, uh, you know, what what state is Lexington in? And it was just amazing to me how how little people uh, seem to know about, you know, middle America and, and even more so the technology space here. So that's, the, you know, that's one of the big reasons we started this podcast. And it's great to hear that you have that outlook on Indianapolis. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I agree. People uh, are asleep on Lexington also. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll get a lot of questions about horses when I talk about it, but I like to talk about horses too, so that's okay. Horses and bourbon and <laughs> yeah. basketball. I like to talk about those two things too. Well, hey, you can't take its its rich history away. It'll always be deeply rooted in that. But as with any city, you know, there is progression. So, yeah, for sure. So before we wrap up, um, are you excited about the playoffs or the potential for playoffs? and, And what are you looking forward to for the rest of the season? Yeah, very excited. I am a, especially tonight. This, this, I'll be on the edge of my seat for this state game. Yeah. Um, but you know, more than anything, I'm just so proud of the team. I'm so proud of the strides that they've made and how they're really gelling well together. And they they come back and the coaches, you know, really invest in the team and make sure that they're set up for success. You know, it's unfortunate when you have uh, any player, let alone your star player, um, you know, get injured along the way. But, you know, he's there rooting them on while he's going through his rehab and training. And that's all we can ask for. And there's nothing like uh, the the indie fans who are there just cheering them on. So, you know, our uh, our campaign tagline for the playoffs is go don't quit. So we'll be using that hashtag throughout the playoff season and look forward to people golden out everything they do. And hopefully we can uh, bring home a W. Love that. Where where can people follow you? Where can they follow the Pacers and, and your other properties? You know, where, where do you want people to go? Oh, for Pacers, definitely, you know, all platforms at Pacers. Uh, for the Fever, just, you know, I'll just say you can pretty much Google any of the accounts. You'll find <laughs> all of our, our social media channels. Obviously, if you go on the NBA's website, you'll find all of our pages or WNBA where you'll find all of our social accounts there. Please follow and like us um, if you want to, you know. Stay in touch with me. I'm huge on LinkedIn, but I also um, share some stuff on Twitter, too. So you can follow me at Tatiana in Media. And um, I love meeting new people. So awesome. Thank you again for coming on. This has been awesome. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. This is uh, this is cool. I Someone told me like 
a couple weeks ago, they were like, you should start a podcast. I'm like, no, I really shouldn't because I hate my voice. But I like <laughs> people ask me to be a part of their podcast. So yeah, there you, go. you get over the voice thing pretty quickly. 